John Writing says, he, he, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, of, armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them, rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, of those who sit on them, the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gather together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, sulfur, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh." And Father, we look to you today, Lord, and as we read these verses, Lord, uh, Lord, our hearts, in one sense, are moved with what will take place on a future day. But Father, until we come to that day, Lord, we are in a day of grace, a day of mercy. And as we read these things also too, Lord, it's a day of warning. Warning what's ahead, Lord, for a world that has rejected Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray as we consider, Lord, these things, that, Lord, uh, we would be instructed. Lord, we thank you that as we turn to your word, Lord, you grant wisdom. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, in your word is, is life and truth. And Father, uh, as we, Lord, uh, read these things, Lord, we have a great concern for our own nation. Lord, so often we, we find, Lord, uh, 
a compassion. Lord, uh, a great concern, Lord, for Lord, the nation, and particularly even for the church, Lord, that the church would be revived. Lord, so often, Lord, we are asking that very thing in prayer, Lord, for awakening, for reviving. And Lord, uh, we, we pray that. We pray that considering the things that are, that are taking place. Lord, uh, we see certainly the, the need is there. And Lord, uh, we pray that, uh, Lord, we might be a part of Lord, you're reviving the church as you revive us, as you work in our hearts and our lives. So, Father, I pray that uh, as we gather this morning around your word, we gather, Lord, also just to worship you, to worship you in spirit and truth. And, and Lord, to give you thanks, to, to thank you for, Lord, your redemptive work. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is that, that we know the true and the living God, that we have salvation and Lord, uh, we pray, Father, uh, Lord, for anyone in our midst, Lord, this morning for these services, or for those, Lord, who would be hearing this at a later date on the radio. We pray that, Father, you would speak your truth, you would speak your warning, and we thank you, Lord, that you're the rescue. Lord, you came to seek and save that which is lost. And Lord, we pray that every time, Lord, your word, your truth, Lord, your person has declared that you would be at work to rescue, Lord, to bring people into that most wonderful of all relationships to know Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we commit this time to you this morning and ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, we entitled uh, our message this morning, uh, God's Rescue uh, for Mankind, our Operation Rescue for Mankind. Uh, when you think about the second coming of Jesus Christ, indeed, that's what it is. Uh, it's a rescue, God's intervention, God's working uh, to redeem man, to bring people unto himself. You know, the Bible declares many are called, but few are chosen. And uh, it's an interesting kind of phrase because here we find in our text, you know, blessed are those who are called to the marriage, you know, supper, you know, with Jesus Christ. But what's important is to respond to that. To respond to that invitation, uh, it's true, many are called, uh, but few are chosen. And what is interesting in that, because I was looking at the uh, phraseology of that, uh, it's certainly we're responding to God's choosing. But I think it's also important, it's when we choose as well, we find out we are chosen. And so it's also incumbent upon us to respond you know, to the gospel uh, and when we, we sense the Lord prompting and, and, and leading and guiding us, I, I think this, you know, when it starts out initially, you know, um, uh, as it becomes our salvation, uh, actually, you know, the life of faith, isn't it responding to him? Just responding, you know, to the spirit of God, to his prompting. You know, maybe when we're in prayer, when we're reading the word of God, uh, he's speaking, you know, into our lives and into our hearts. Uh, and it's incumbent upon us to respond to that. Uh, we call that obedience, you know, cooperation with the Spirit of the living God. But it's an, but it's an absolute necessity if we're really going to walk by faith and expect God can't lead us if we're not willing to follow. Uh, if we're willing to follow, I'll tell you what, uh, life is a wonderful and awesome thing as he is directing and guiding, you know, our steps. Um, you know, somebody once said that you can't steer a car until it's moving. Uh, and that is true of our lives as well. We need to step out in faith, 
you know, for the Lord, and he will direct us, you know, to the right or to the left or whatever the case may be. Uh, so it's important to respond, you know, to the Lord and to his call and to his prompting. Uh, and, that, and, you know, whenever the gospel goes out, and when you think about it, you and I are those through which the gospel invitation goes out. And it's really an invitation. You know, a lot of times when people, that, that's the thing about salvation. People don't realize that when they're getting offered uh, this gospel salvation, uh, they, they look at it in a very denigrating uh, and beggarly kind of way. They, they think perhaps it's just, you know, well, it means I've got to go to church and I've got to stop this and stop that. Um, and it, all these things that, you know, it's predicated oftentimes upon all the things that we uh, feel that we will have to do now. But in one sense, we know we can't do them. We can't do them in and of ourselves. But little do people realize that the eternal benefits and blessings, but even now, here and now, when you think about all the blessings that we have, you know, in Christ, uh, but this is only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, that's why, you know, I think uh, there, will, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in eternity when people realize what they have missed, when the offer was so close, when so many times they had presented that, you know, the, the gospel had been presented to them by a loved one, by a friend, um, and in so many different situations, I think there will be an awful uh, sense of, you know, anger and frustration, even anger at oneself. Now, remember, we talked about that, uh, about, um, you know, everybody's an eternal being. Everybody lives eternally. It just depends where is that going to be. Uh, and one of the things that we were talking about a few weeks ago about all the emotions, people will still have the capability uh, when they pass through this life, the capability of feelings and emotions and desires and all those other things. Now, when we look at this, uh, looking at verse 10 here, it seems to be John is absolutely dazzled by the message and the messenger. Uh, he mistakenly bows down to the angel. He gets kind of a, a reproof, and he honestly kind of records his botch up here, um, you know, that he had bowed down to the, to the angel and so forth. And I guess, you know, if any, any one of us, we would have made the same mistake. Uh, he was just, in a sense, blown away uh, by this supernatural spiritual moment that he was in. And, uh, uh, and as you look at verse 10, I want you to pay attention particularly to the very last part of that, where it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, this verse here sums up for us in a word what the Bible's all about. Th this is a very important verse because it tells us the end result of what all prophecy is. And it brings before us the answer to every problem and every dilemma. Because that answer is Jesus Christ. The whole focus of the Bible is Christ. Whether it be indirectly or directly. Of course, we see many passages that may be, you know, indirect. But the fact of the matter, the Bible, the, the whole content of the Bible, it points us to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what John is simply reminding us here. That the end result of all prophecy is to simply point us to him and ultimately to bring us into a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what also, too, we're reading about is really the most anticipated event of all history. And what we're talking about here in chapter 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, we've read it, and I think sometimes we've become anesthetized to it, don't we, to a certain degree. Uh, when we think about, you know, we think about the Lord coming and all that. Well, we know he's coming, but sometimes uh, it seems to be that, uh, you know, life has more of our focus and more of our attention oftentimes than really we would maybe like it to be or the Lord wants it to be. 
But here, we've, here, we're, here we're talking about the most anticipated and exciting event that's ever going to take place in all of history. Because simply God, um, as we see here in the, in, in the Bible and in this book of Revelation, that basically, you know, he, as he comes on his white horse, um, he's coming to the rescue. He's coming to the rescue of mankind. Because one of the things the Bible tells us, if it wasn't for his intervention, that mankind would destroy themselves. And in a sense, doesn't that happen in a very small microcosmic kind of way when he comes into your life? When he comes into each one of our lives, he stops us from destroying ourselves. Look at how many people out there. And, you know, you talk about free will and the freedom to choose. And, you know, we Americans, we put such a premium on that. But look what free will does to people. You can make your own choices. And, and when you look at, you know, the choices that people make that destroy them, they, you know, they can't blame it. You know, by and large, 99% of the choices that we make, you know, certain things can be foisted on us, okay, by other people. But for the most part, the choices that we make are critical to the, basically, to our destiny. That's why it's so important, the choices that you're making this week, each and every decision you make. Be careful that you, you, you don't find yourself, you know, giving in, you know, caving in to the, to the weaknesses, you know, of, of the flesh, the temptations of the world. Because the decisions or choices that you are making, basically, they're shaping your character. And when, when we talk about our character being shaped, basically, we're also talking about, you know, our eternal destiny. Um, so it's very important that those things, those decisions that we're making and of course we know that unless Jesus Christ returns, Satan would destroy humanity. Uh, and people would cooperate with that, just like people today individually cooperate you know, with the, you know, our great enemy, our adversary, Satan, uh, and do some destructive things. But we're told here about Jesus um, that he comes on his white horse, verse 11. Um, he's faithful and true, and in righteousness, total, absolute righteousness, he judges and makes war. Um, he doesn't come. That's why when you look at uh, um, the patience of God, that uh, he has waited so long. You know, the disciples in the very beginning, uh, they were convinced that the Lord would come within perhaps maybe the first hundred years or whatever the case may be. But, but he's only been patient because as, been, as he's been, uh, as long suffering, Peter tells us, is basically the salvation of souls to, to bring people into his kingdom. That's why you and I have a charge. Go ye, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Give out the truth because God is still saving people. He's never saved nations, okay? All right? He saves people in nations. And sometimes you get a pretty good percentage of people, a good, you know, a high number of Christians in the population. And it really impacts, it really impacts the culture and the society. Uh, but what we see in our own nation is a secularization of it. Uh, become very humanistic, very godless. And that's why we see certain things taking place. Uh, should we throw our hands up and give up? No. Uh, the fact of the matter is that God's on the throne. Okay, this is our Father's world. Uh, and th the second coming of Christ is about him coming, uh, basically returning to claim it, uh, to claim it as his own, to sit on the throne. Uh, you know, in Jerusalem. That's why when we, we have this message of the second coming of Christ, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. You know, how people are going to react to us. You know, well, uh, isn't that kind of uh, sci-fi or whatever the case may be? Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, a re it's going to be a reality someday. And, 
when we speak about, you know, when we speak of prophecy, you know, it's interesting. Prophecy has a tremendous of impact uh, of evangelizing people. I saw it, I saw it happen really in a, in a very powerful way uh, through the 70s and into the 80s. Uh, would seem to be sort of a reawakening of the in the church regarding you know the prof God's you know prophetic word, and so many people were you know impacted by that because you can see a correlation between you know the word of God and prophetically what it says about the future, uh, some of the things that are taking place you know around us today. So don't be afraid uh, to speak about the second coming of Christ and some of the prophetic stuff that we've talked about here. Uh, you know, people may kind of look at you uh, like you're kind of flaky um, and, uh, you know, he got religion. You know, we don't know what's happened to him since, since, that, since that event took place in his life. But we're just going to love the simple fool and uh, put up with him and that kind of thing. That's okay. Let them think whatever they want to think. It, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, we've got the truth. We've got the Holy Spirit on our side to back up, you know, the words and all the things that we say. Now, once again, as we come to verse 12, John gives us a picture of the glorified Lord. We had one in chapter 1. Uh, we had a, pretty much a, a total profile there in chapter 1. And he gives us another glimpse of Jesus here as he returns. Uh, he says, uh, his eyes remember like a flame of fire. We talked about that, I think, a week or two ago, about when he judges. His eyes are going to look at all the, the, the you know, when we're talking about the judgment of believers uh, not the judgment of the world, but the judgment of believers. There are some of the things that have been done by us are wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, you know, they're, they're not really built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not everything that churches do, not everything that Christians do uh, is, is, you know, uh, born out of a pure motive or, or even led by the Holy Spirit. You know, look at your own particular life. There have been things sometimes that we thought for sure it was the right thing to do. But as you look back at it, uh, it may be wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, and there's going to be certain things that are just sort of burned up. There's going to be other things that are going to just be all the more purified uh, when we stand before him. So John sees him with these eyes of fire. Uh, he sees his head, many crowns on his head. And he says here, um, relative in verse 12, to his name is called the word of God. You know, Scripture assigns 103 names and titles to Jesus Christ. If you want the list, I can give them to you. But imagine 103 names and titles to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know why that is? Because one name alone cannot fully describe him. Now, we've got one name, right? Okay, it describes us. Okay, we're, we, we have our limitations. We are who we are. Um, but, you know, when it comes to Jesus, and that's why, you know, when you read the Bible, you walk with him. Uh, for any length of time, there's this ongoing revelation of his person. And, and you, you, know, you, you, you discover that he's the Lord, uh, Jehovah, as Jeremiah said, to Sid Canoe. He's the Lord. He's my righteousness. It's not my righteousness. He's my righteousness. And, and then you discover that you know, he's Jehovah Jireh, that as he works in your life to provide to, to meet needs in a very interesting, sometimes a miraculous kind of a way. And you discover, wow, he is. He's Jehovah Jireh. Uh, and then you're sick and, 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 you, and you pray. Uh, and you discover he's Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, you know, the Lord, my healer. And that's why we see all these hyphenated names all the way through, Bible, through the Bible. But again, there's 103 to describe the full-orbed, you know, ministry and life and person 
of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting too because it's one name alone that will bring the full blessing of, Jesus, of, of God to your life, and that's Jesus. That's why, you know, um, Luke writing in Luke, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 4, uh, there's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. That's the only name you need. That's the only name that you need to, to, you know, to communicate uh, to someone. Um, and and we, we sing it. There, there's power in the name. I was listening to the Christian radio yesterday. There, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. The story from Richard Wormbrand, kinda, that one kind of keeps coming back to me. That here he is in communist Romania, you know, back in the 1960s. Nobody could talk about religion or Jesus because it was, it was, you know, under the, you know, the iron fist of, 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 you know, Russia and communism. No one could talk about, you know, talk about God. There's so much suppression of that. And he walks up to this policewoman and he, and he says to her, do you know Jesus? And she says, no, I don't know him, but I've been thinking about that name. And I love that name. And he led her to Christ. It's like the woman who was a Muslim. And I forget the author. Couldn't get his credit card to work at the pump, so he had to go in. And here's a Muslim woman behind the clerk, behind the counter. And he decides just on the spur just to ask her if she knows Jesus. And she looked at him like this. She says, I've been dreaming about him for 30 years. And I was hearing some stories just recently about all these Muslims going to the Hajj. It's taking place this week in Saudi Arabia. You know, millions of, of Muslims going, you know, to, to, to Saudi Arabia for this, you know, this great Muslim convocation. And guess who's showing up? Jesus. I love it when he crashes a party. <laughs> Weren't you happy when he crashed your party? He's so good. He's so faithful. That's the one name you know, that we want to give to folks. God can take it and wonderfully minister it. Now, verse 14, if you've been waiting for a horse all your life, you're going to get a dandy. You're going to be a, a winged pegasus. I've been waiting for a horse my whole life, okay? Since I was a kid. I, I grew up in the 1950s, so it was like, the John Wayne Western era, and uh, Hopalong Cassidy, the uh, Lone Ranger. I've been waiting for a horse for a long time, and you're going to get one. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So not only does he have a white horse, the whole army has a white horse. And we may not think of an army, 
you know, we, we may not think of, you know, our, our glorified state, you know, in this kind of way. But we're going to be his army following him. You're going to be in the cavalry. And it's going to be quite the moment when we return with him. We're going to be in the army, but you know what? You're not going to have to fight. He's, he's just going to dispatch things very, very quickly. He's going to take care, <coughs> excuse me, take care of things. We're not going to have to fight one bit. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. You see, the nations are going to be severely chastised for their promoting of sinful behavior. That's why the Bible says, pray for your leaders. I, I wouldn't want to be some judge or some Supreme Court justice who voted for and supports abortion or the denigration or redefinition of marriage. You know, remember Jesus said, for those who offend a little one, it would be better if they had a millstone tied around their neck. That's for those who support this, this legalized murder of abortion. Very serious in God's eyes. The nations will severely be severely dealt with, chastised. The leadership, Congress, Senates. One of the prophets writes this, Haggai. For thus says the Lord of hosts once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And every time we see that reference, there are a number of references to the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of armies. And you know what he's doing right now? I, I believe that he is beginning to shake nations. And we're told over in Hebrews chapter 12, in the latter part of, of Hebrews chapter 12, that God shakes things. He shakes things away that the eternal things would remain. And when you look at this particular verse here, you know, the human heart is oftentimes filled with the wrong desire. And when he talks about the desire of nations, what the desire of nations needs to be, Christ. That's going to be. That's going to be in a millennial earth. Isaiah speaks about it. That the nations will come up to Jerusalem to worship. He will be the desire. And, and a lot of times what he has to do, he has to shake things. Sometimes things become more important than our relationship with God. So God has to remove those things. You know, sometimes we, you know, certainly feel compassion, you know, for maybe somebody that's lost their house in a flood or a fire. But I am convinced because I know my God 
that in the loss of those things, he is there revealing himself. And that's why Jesus said, it's better to lose your arm, your leg, your foot, your hand, and to enter into eternal life than to go into the hell flame, you know, the hell flames whole. And there's a lot of times he, he allows loss in our life. He shakes things away that he might replace that, that he might become our desire. And of course, when we find here over in Revelation 19 that this is really nothing other than judgment. But one of the things that we've come to realize and know that there will be those who will survive this period because of their belief in God, those who have not taken the mark of the beast. And it isn't interesting any time when you look at God at work whatever time period in history, it's always a remnant. It's always a remnant. When you look at the billions of people that will die during this period, when you tally it all up, billions of people dying, it will be a mere remnant that will finally respond to him. You know, when you look at he will rule them with a rod of iron. It's a reference there to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is basically a description of the day of the Lord. It starts out, you know, why do the nations rage? That's how Psalm 2 starts out. And basically it, 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 comes, down to, it comes down to the point uh, where basically um, the invitation is there, embrace the Son, receive the Son, I think I had, let me just read it to you real quick here, verses 10 through 12. He says, um, well, let me back up, verse 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron, shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Now, he's speaking here to the leaders of nations. Be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. Here you have a thousand years before Christ even came, a prophecy pointing to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Hebrew, it would be more like this, embrace Him. Here's the gospel in the Psalms. To, to embrace Him like we do. Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little... But blessed are all those who put their trust in him. That's true. That's true in any age. For those who just simply put their... And, and again, he, he makes salvation so simple, doesn't he? That, that a little child can believe it. That, that one verse of truth can redeem a person's life like the thief on the cross. And like so many have been perishing, to just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. <laughs> It'll be a very strict day in the future when you think of the millennial reign. People will not get away with their clever calculations like they do today. It's not going to happen. 
things will be dealt with very swiftly, very strictly. Because we will have different leadership. There will be holiness. There will be purity. It will be a totally different world than we could ever even imagine. It'll be, in a sense, you know what it'll be? It'll be like a little piece of heaven here on earth. The devil, he'll be tied up. He'll be, he'll, he'll be on his chain. And he is on his robe and on his thigh name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think this is a reminder, isn't it, to all those who really think they're important. <laughs> there's one king. There's one Lord. And he's coming to basically uh, take his rightful place on the throne. Now, earlier in chapter 19, we had just come from a wedding, the wedding of all weddings. And it's a supper, um, the wedding supper, reception, if you will. It's a wedding supper of the Lamb, and that's one you do not want to miss. But as we come to this particular, we are introduced now to Armageddon. This is Armageddon. We've gotten a little glimpse of it thus far um, through previous chapters. Uh, this is the event of Armageddon um, that's taking place here. But there's another supper here that's taking place uh, where the items on the menu tragically are those who have rejected the offer of salvation. I was kind of thinking that through. When you just when you when you read, and as we read there, about the flesh of captains and kings and mighty people. Th these are the kinds of individuals that have devoured many other people, destroyed other people, wasted other people, exploited other people made other people their possessions and slaves. This is, this is not too harsh. When you think about it from God's perspective, this is justice. It's well-deserved. I think there's a lot of people who reject Jesus Christ, but they don't realize what they're signing up on. Now, in verse 17, the angel summons every, virtue, every vulture, rather, every bird of prey. I was actually reading about the vultures this week, doing a, just wondering where concentrations of vultures were around the world and that sort of thing. But one author said this about them, what they are. And I was, it was interesting because I was reading about India. India's always had a lot of vultures, but for some reason they're gone. And India, because of their Hinduism, uh, they won't eat meat. They won't eat, you know, they won't eat animals. You know, they're, they, they, they're, they're cows and, um, you know, all those animals are considered sacred to them. So when they die, they just begin to rot on the ground, and it's amazing uh, how much disease 
that has taken place as a result that because where did the vultures go? And somebody said this about the vultures. They're the optimal animal disposal system. You know, God's got a plan for all things, doesn't he? I thought that was interesting. The op optimal <laughs> animal disposal system. Well, they'll be used for another disposal system as well in this future day. And as we look at verse 18, we realize these captains, these mighty people, these, these movers and shakers, they get no special exemption because of their position because you know what? They've been getting special exemptions all their life. You know, there are some, some people, they're, 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 they're in so control of things <laughs> that nobody can tell them what to do. They're used to telling everybody else what to do. Now God's telling them what to do. But this is why in verse 19, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Who would be stupid enough to fight the Almighty? But don't we know from our own experience that sin makes us stupid? It does. Oh, I mean, all we have to do is look back at our lives. Or, or look at somebody who turns from the Lord. Or look at just some of the things, some of the choices and decisions people make in our culture, in our society. Sin warps us. It, it has a way of just warping our insight, our understanding, and dumbing us down. The smartest thing that anybody can do to give their life to Christ and, and walk with Him. Allow Him to continue to influence your life. As, as Mark was praying uh, earlier, um, you know, about uh, as, as we, you know, not to be conformed to this world, um, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what we're doing here this morning. And because we, because we still have to deal with the fallen nature, we've got to keep renewing it, don't we? Like we get up each and every day, we renew our mind. How many times has God maybe spoken into our lives? One morning when we were studying, we opened the Bible. And all of a sudden, He gave us some particular, some issue, something that was relevant for that day. And it rescued us, it helped us. Helped us to make the right decision. You've got important decisions to make. Don't make them without the Bible. Ask God to confirm to you. Ask Him to speak into your heart, into your life, help you make important decisions. I, even, you know, I, I think it's wisdom just to ask Him to help you to make minor decisions. I look back at my own life, I've wasted enough time, enough energy, enough money. I don't want to waste any more. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to help us. You know, Job said about this, you know, relative to you know, fighting, striving with the Lord. Job in chapter 22, he says, Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Agree with him 
Acquaint yourself with them. Be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth. And lay up his words in your heart. And if you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. What a great promise. To be in agreement, you know, with the Lord. Because even as a Christian, you know, even as a believer, sometimes we can find ourselves just sort of striving against God. You know, striving against his will. You know, sometimes we have such a strong will, we want something. We want something, and I, 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 you know, I can't see any other way. And we make our decision. We press ahead, and then we come to learn. You know, we waste our time. We waste our money. We waste our energy. I, I thank God that the decisions that I've made like that haven't been major ones, but you know, little decisions like that where you just kind of strive, where you want something. You know, there, there's something that you think you need to have. And you just you kind of just you know you just keep pushing and pushing. After after you know you just okay. You realize, Lord, I'm sorry. Or one time the Lord warned me about a vehicle I was I was buying. I had to have it though. I had to have it. And uh, after I got it, no sooner did I get it, I realized that the person who owned the vehicle before me had pets in it and I had allergies and I was tormented in that vehicle. God knew it. I think that sometimes when God says no about something, we think, you know, like, God, you're trying to keep me from fun. You're trying to keep me from something I think I'm really going to enjoy. But doesn't he know? He knows. The Bible says his way is perfect. And, and I thank God also through the many different times I prayed and waited and allowed the Lord to just simply change my heart. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Isaiah put it this way. He said, who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them thoroughly. Or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me. And he shall make peace with me. You know, it's interesting when you think about, you know what the gospel is? God turning his enemies into his friends. That's what he does. That's what the gospel does. Those who were formerly at, at, at you know, adversity with God, at enmity with God. We come to realize, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. And isn't one of the most wonderful benefits of knowing Christ? Peace. Man, to have the peace of God ruling and reigning in your heart. You know what? You can't buy that. You simply cannot buy that. It comes because of our relationship with him. Now in verse 20, we're going to conclude with this. Revel Revelation refuses to call him anything but the beast because that's what he is. 
a man who is satanically energized and possessed. He's probably got to be the most possessed, demonic individual, human being in all of history. And because he is possessed, his power to deceive is so, is so great that he deceives not just a small group of people. You know, sometimes you see these, you know, David Koresh, Jim Jones, pardon me, uh, you know, world leaders, Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Idi Amin, you know, the Caesars. You, you, you've seen it in more of a, you know, a, a, a smaller circle, maybe a nation or, or a small group of people. How some satanically energized person gets a hold of that group and they will do anything. I mean, how do you get like 900 people with Jim Jones to drink poison Kool-Aid and take your life? Remember the Heaven's Gate group too? Um, I think it was Haley's Comet. Haley's Comet came through. And uh, the lie was from the leader uh, that we're going to get swept up in the comet. And there was like a dozen of them uh, that they drank the, the Kool-Aid as, well, as well and uh, committed suicide. But this is the whole world. This is the whole world. You know, it's interesting when people have drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. Just about the world and their answers for the world. And they look at you and me like, what's wrong with you? When are you going to hitch your wagon to us? When are you going to finally come around to, the, you know, to, to a right kind of understanding? Aren't you so thankful you're different? Because of Christ. Because of what he's done for you and for me. We don't get all the details here. But just like that, he and the false prophet are captured. Because there wasn't much of a fight. The Lord just spoke the word. <laughs> Remember we were reading about another aspect of Armageddon and the Valley of Jezreel, Megiddo, which where it gets its name, Armageddon, that the blood will be to the horse's bridles. Can you imagine? Four foot high river of blood, 180 miles long. It's almost un unimaginable. How do you get that much blood in such a short period of time to run like a river? And my idea on that is very simply when the Lord comes and returns, he gives us order. And maybe that's the dispatch of an angel or several angels. And I think they're all smitten immediately, just like that. Perhaps decapitated, whatever. Because of their foolishness. It's like the song we were singing this morning. Who can stand against the Almighty? 
It's crazy. And yet there will be an army of people led by the Antichrist. Foolishly thinking, you know, maybe we can do it. Maybe we can do it. We find in verse 20, he's vanquished, he's captured. The beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These are those who have put their faith in a false Messiah. You know, people mock us. When it comes to this whole matter of faith, you know, what's this faith thing, man? You like, you need some crutch or something? Everybody operates on faith. Everybody's got a belief system. The difference between our system of belief <laughs> and their system of belief is ours saves us because it's based on truth. It's based on knowing God. A lot of people act like, well, you believe. Like, what's wrong with you? Everybody believes. Everybody believes in something. They put their faith in their atheism. A lot of politics is messianic. A lot of it's messianic. Looking for some politician. Someone's going to rescue us and save us. Folks, it ain't happening. Not that we shouldn't have tried to have a better country. Not that there shouldn't be Christian politicians. But no one's going to save us. That's what his coming is all about. At this time in history, we've gone, all, we've gone all through, we've worn out every political system that has ever been devised by man. And I think we probably have the best one. But look at the hatred. Look at the hatred in, in, in Washington. Look at the bitterness. Look at the, you know, polarization. It's, it's an absolute log jam. And I don't think it's going to get any better. Because we're too close to the end. I think as Christians, we need to be very careful. We're not so concerned about fixing the, re fixing the political system. We need to see people get fixed. We need to see people get fixed. That's what it's about. Now, these two guys, these guys have brokered, they pulled off the greatest deception in all history, basically deceiving millions of people, sealing their eternal fate. That's when we look at these guys in verses, the end of verse 20, they're cast alive into the lake of fire. In other words, they gave no mercy, they received no mercy. These two guys are so wicked, basically, that they, don't, they bypass hell. They go right into the lake of fire. You know how hell is? Spiritually speaking, it's, it's a county jail. We're going to see later in chapter 20 where hell is thrown into the lake of fire. 
Lake of Fire is the, the, the big house, the state penitentiary, so to speak. Hell is simply a holding place right now, a place designed for the devil and his angels, very similar in a sense to the county jail. Well, as we've looked at this stuff here, here's the good news, it gets better. As we get into these final chapters, we've been through some messy stuff, haven't we? I don't know about you, but I, like, I want to move on here. It, it gets kind of gets heavy. But here's the deal. No matter how difficult your life is right now, and I know some of us have some difficult stuff going on, tough stuff, this is the worst it gets. For the unbeliever, this life is the best it gets. And I think that it's important for us to realize, because I see a lot of people trying to do this, even Christians. Gang, this isn't heaven down here. It's not heaven. It's never going to be heaven. It wasn't meant to be heaven. This life has its trials, its challenges, its pain, its suffering. And there are things that we cannot avoid. My wife's dear mother, many of you met Betty a number of times. She's been with us. Well, she's just hanging on the precipice of life, and we don't know if she's going to live through the, through the rest of this day. We've been ready all week to go down to Philadelphia and be with, uh, be with the family for, the, uh, for all the arrangements. That's where life ends for each and every one of us on this earth. But because of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. It doesn't all end here. As a matter of fact, when we look back, when we're in our eternal state, we're going to realize how brief, how short, but yet how important this life was. So may we live it for him, amen? May we seek to glorify him. It's not about feathering our nest. It's not about just being comfortable. The objective of this life is to live for Christ, amen? Father, we praise you. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given to us, your children, a glorious future. But while we're here, Lord, we don't want to be so taken up. Lord, we want to be, well, be good and decent people. We want to enjoy our life as much as we can. But Lord, may that, may that not be the objective. May that, may that not be the total end of our thinking. To live as Christ to die as gain. Help us, we pray, to go out this week to live for your glory, to live for your honor. And Lord, to be a conduit, a conduit of hope in a hopeless world. Thank you for the hope of the gospel.
and for the hope of eternal life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Shall we rise?